My brother uh, wears full-on glasses. He's a person who wears glasses, and he has for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years now. And uh, my dad and my mom, it just like, it slowly happened. They, we, we were never a glasses family. Yeah. But as you get older, I think everyone kind of needs them because that's just, that's just what happens to your body, right? Yeah, I think so. If you're using your body hard, really hard. Do you use your body hard? Yeah. Did I'm, you I'm use, living. How hard did you use your body when you went to your um, electronic music laser show this weekend? Oh, I, full utilization. <laughs> full utilization of what your body is able to offer. Cause it, so each <laughs> night starts um, around... With a prayer. And ends... With a funeral, yes. No, so each you know it's funny. So each each night starts at around eight and then goes until about four or five in the morning. And they stagger, they, they stagger DJs getting more aggressive through the night as opposed to the much more rational. Let's open it hard and let you chill out as the night goes on. As the drugs wear off. Yeah. So it's everyone just popping mollies in the parking lot, being like, "All right, let's do this thing." And then I'll have a nice easy night. And then around three in the morning. Like they had some old school Chicago house in there. There's like four in the morning and they were like, guys, bad, bad boy Bill. And like stuff I haven't heard from the 90s, which is just like, wop, 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 wop. Just this like fast, aggressive oh, EDM. So you have all these kids at like six in the morning who are like, okay, I guess I'll eat some mushrooms then. Good and then just Lord. Conti- continuing. So there, I mean, most people I assume didn't sleep all three weekends. Where, I'm sorry, all three days. Where did this happen? Inside of a racetrack. In Las Vegas, there it was in Los Angeles, and then a girl died, and the city sued EDC, so they had to move it to the desert inside of a racetrack because apparently Las Vegas is just a lawless, yes, uh, Western gunfighter town, um, no laws. So, but this year I read an article: not a single person overdosed, which is amazing because I saw several people fall down, yeah, and they all turned out fine. Well, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, they made it to the chill out tent, and they had some. Oranges and you know it's funny. There is a surprisingly amount of lasers in the chill out tent. That's a bad idea. Yeah, it's terrible. That should be a laser free zone. They have EDC has the amount of terrible choices you can make. There is truly impressive. They have and keep in mind there are kids, uh, and by kids I mean adults rolling and tripping for seventy two solid hours, and then they also have a church where you can get married. If you want, if you think that's a good idea after 32 hours, 72 hours of not having a glass of water and only doing drugs. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's Jeez. fantastic. They're, it's beautiful. I'm picturing, because this show is at a racehorse, I'm picturing the stage, the DJ up on the stage, and that the stage is like, um, it has four wheels, and it's driving around the race. <laughs> like driving around the people. And the entire, no, the, the, the crowd is behind them, and the crowd is running. <laughs> And just chasing like a the DJ, Piper yes, of- just around the track for seventy-two. But not even hours. to techno music to that, like yes, to the Benny yeah. Hill music. Exactly. <laughs> hey, it's reading aloud. Sam Kiefer is here. I'm back. From um, thank you so much for. It was very thoughtful of you to, uh, because you. I know you really wanted to be a part of that oh, book. I really book loved club that book because that book is really incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, you were traveling, so you couldn't be here for for the record of it. But you. You laid down eight different tracks on iTunes about your thoughts on the book. And mm-hmm. I got to three of them, I think, two or three, but I wanted to get to them today. Because, oh, sure. again, I could talk about this book forever uh, because it was so fucking wonderful. So do you have that called up on I the iTunes? I do have it called up, yes. Could we start with, um, let's do influences. Influences? Yes. Okay. 
Oh, I think this is a long, rambly one. This Can't be, wait. This will be nice. Hey, Nate and guests. Uh, I want to talk about influences. I'm curious what parts of this book made other people think about what other movies and TV stuff that I wonder what this book influenced. Uh, there's this movie, Antichrist, this Lars von Trier film that came out a couple years back that was pretty controversial. There's this great part where the fox turns to Willem Dafoe, this dead fox, and says, chaos reigns. It's like the pivotal part in the movie. And on page 260 in this book, it says, chaos rules, and it's separated from the rest of the font, and that stuck out of me. The, the part where they're talking about uh, arts following, breaking into places and stealing stuff to keep their cult going reminds me of Fight Club. The guy who shoots himself and blows his face off um, but chooses to keep his life going and then uh, comes back to them reminds me of this character named Arseface who gets shot in the face and keeps going in this the preacher graphic novel. Um, and then there's the obvious one of American Horror Story, which you c- could be argued, you know, the freak show's naturally going to get compared but even the way they describe the twins is fairly accurate to how the twins act in that tv show there's a ton of similarities and the one this is the one i hope is truly uh lifted from this book in the movie aliens um when they get sent out to the planet when they're briefing that the uh the soldiers one of the soldiers turns and goes it's a famous line he goes i don't care where we're headed as long as i get some of that sweet arturian poontang and I hope that is a reference to this cult. So I'm just curious what everyone thought of when they read this. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, let me check here. When? Um, oh, that's an easy check, by the way. I didn't check when those two things came exactly. out. I think it's in Aliens. Is that so? Because Alien, Aliens, right? Alien was 79. Aliens was 86. Would that be post? The, I think it's in Aliens. He says. Uh, Geek Love, I believe, was 85. Okay. 89. No. Oh, really? So it's impossible? Holy shit. So wait, so so aliens came first, saying Arturian. Yeah, interesting. So what is Art? So Arturian. Well, there, here's the thing, because no one knows what it is. One of our, one of our podcasts here uh, is hosted by a guy named Matt Gorley called I Was There Too. I don't like him. I don't care for him. He's real well-spoken. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he loved that line. And he got some of the actors. He, I, I, it's killing me. I can't think of the guy's name. He's very sweet. But uh, one of the um, the guy who says the line yes. is a young actor who yes. uh, is one of the soldiers. And he didn't know what it meant. He told them when he asked wow. on the set, "What's that line mean?" They were just like, "It's a throwaway line that the director made." Here, the the writer wow. Made. Uh, so he still t- doesn't know what this means. So no one really knows what it's a reference to. They were uh, they, like, he said they were allowed to ad lib to a certain extent, but he didn't make that lineup. That was in the script. So. No one, no one's so I guess really ca- so that came, what? but that came first before yeah, Catherine Dunn. So. Damn, I wonder if she named the character Arthur so she could um, reference that. Yeah, maybe interesting. Yeah, um, that I, I appreciate you laying down that hot track about <laughs> influences. What I always thought about was Carnival, that HBO show that oh. was very short lived, but again, yeah, from the uh. Uh, American Horror Story for sure. Yeah, it's a complete ripoff. Like there, I, I've, I, when I was looking this up, I saw a couple discussions on, online, and there's a way of arguing or, excuse me, discussing that really annoys me, which is to say, if something's small enough, people don't really care if it steals from each other. Like if you go, ah, this band is just a ripoff of this band. If the band, the two bands are small enough, mm. they'll just go, ah, who cares? Mm. Like if, better, you know, if like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, if it's something like that, then people it's worth debating as if, if, you, if your property isn't popular enough, it doesn't matter. So I found a lot of really irritating posts online where people would go, hey, this American Horror Story has lifted a lot 
from Geek Love. Like, yeah. not just the premise of a freak show, yeah. but the way that the way that did you watch American Horror Story that season? A little bit, but he turns me off. The way the twins operate, where one you're constantly afraid one's going to hurt the other yeah, one. Yeah, and yeah. That's heavily lifted from this. And I saw a lot of posts that were like, eh, who cares? Or or this type of argument, if the second one is more popular than the first one, yeah. then who cares? That's so bullshit. I saw I saw a lot of that That's online. such bullshit. That, that seems to be the general consensus is that, well, American Horror Story is great, and this is a book. So, eh. Ugh. You know, one's an HBO show and yours is a book, so you lose. Yucky. Uh, I want to play... Um, uh, anti-upping. Ooh. Hey, Nate and guests. I want to talk to you guys about the uh, continual surprises and upping of the ante that Catherine Dunn has in store for everybody. This book has a lot of graphic stuff going on and a lot of descriptively graphic stuff going on, so you're always on the bit of nausea all the time with the way they describe things. But even within that, there are some things, some little tidbits she drops in there that are incredible where they, for the first realization of Doc P's self-surgery and then later when they wheel her out after they've like messed up her body, the first realization of the horse amputee when they trot him out, just the way she describes it, the way it's dancing or like seeming to be dance, just gross the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the great after the bomb goes off and our, uh, Al's laying on the ground. So the drugged out what's left of their mom immediately, uh, the way they describe it, starts rubbing herself against his limp penis. Oh, uh, God, kudos yeah. to Catherine Dunn. I enjoy some graphic things and not easily. Yeah. Uh, disturbed, but there are a couple of scenes in here that made me blush and get up and get a glass of water. So uh, just curious what everyone else thought. Yeah, right. that happened time and time again. Yeah. This is, I think we discussed this on the book club that this is not a fucking book that you could teach in high school. No, it's not. And no it's, fucking way. It, yeah, like I said, it really like it sets the bar because this is a freak show that things are going to be crazy. Yeah. So you're, I would like to think I could assimilate to that, like when you're watching a war movie, you kind of go, okay, I'm going to see some legs get blown off. Like, these are the things I'm going to see if I, before I put in Saving Private Ryan. So don't be too shocked when these things happen. Yeah. But this is one of those where I was like, all right, this is what this is going to be. And then there were still probably 10 times I read a line and then out loud in my apartment alone was like, holy uh, shit. Yeah, Jeez, same here. That, well, the bag man, too. The description of his yeah, face and his eye yeah. peeking out behind the mask. Every, like, she just, she was relentless. No one was left to be um, typical. Yeah, and no one makes it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, grotesque. I mean, she just pushes and pushes and pushes. Yeah. And to the point where I was like, just, you feel unsettled. You feel like it's cringeworthy. You feel like it's chilling. Yeah, which I think is her, I, I think is her ultimate goal is that like halfway, th- by, by a certain point through your reading, and because it's written in Ollie's view, and you're the one reading it, you have a kinship with Ollie, and you're, as a reader, are kind of against the norms and are against... What, you know, the certain things you're with the freaks and then all these things happen. Yeah. And once you start to feel nauseous and grossed out, I think that's Catherine's done the intention to be like, yeah, this is fucked up, right? Yeah. Like, you, you can't even handle this. Stay out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not for you. Yeah, like, yeah. You end up reading, finishing the book being like, yeah, I thought I was with them. Right. This is a level can't I couldn't hit. even. Can't hang. I'm a, yeah, I'm a norm. Do you, um, have you, I've already forgotten like a majority of the book. And I finished reading it less than a week ago. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or because I start books after I finish books and try to just transition immediately into something else. I like, it's gone. 
Like I, I can't get specific. I should have brought my notes today and I don't have any notes. I'm just going on my memory and my memory is burned. I think there's also a part of it. This was such a good book. I read it max possible speed. Kind of like when you binge watch Netflix, like, yeah. oh, there's a new show out. So I'll watch 18 hours of it because I want all of it now. And yeah. then by the end of the 18 hours, I'm like, I got to watch this again one yeah. by one. Yeah. Like a person. I got to slow like down. A regular I know. person. I don't know what made me think I could retain 18 hours of House of Cards. Yeah. But this is, I finished it and was like, oh, I should have spaced this out. Geek Love is a book you can go through with like a fine tooth comb and really fucking analyze it. We could have done, we could have spent three hours on that book club. Anyway, Sam, thank you again. Absolutely. That's such fun um let's get to today's episode hey, however before you do that yeah uh, i actually didn't hear what's next book club if people want to join oh i'm so sorry people emma klein okay. wrote a book called the girls great it's a brand new book uh she is 25 it's her debut and she is alive she's alive i saw that living. tweet someone tweeted at you of like <laughs> this is the first alive book club i author. think it was betsy it's been <laughs> nine months or something since i've had an author that's alive you know why i think subconsciously i'm choosing books from dead authors because i'm i'm a, a worried about hurting the feelings of a potential living author listening to the book club and someone eviscerating them sure. like there was the uh, the the Invaders, which was like last year, uh, an L.A. author, local girl, and we didn't like the book. And we didn't pick on her, but we just tore it apart. And I wonder if she listened to that episode. And I'm, I should, that's my own insecurities. That's sure. my own bullshit. I should just get over that. Like, it's okay to not like something. It's Whatever. If you're a writer, you're creating, uh, you're an artist, you're creating content, you're putting it out in the world, and people get to say yes or no to it. Yeah. I, okay, I got to choose more living authors. Turns out there's a bunch of them. <laughs> yes, there's so like, many. There's 13 of them. <laughs> um, it is June. This is the July book choice, Emma Klein's The Girls. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's getting tons of rave reviews. It's about a young girl who gets caught up in a uh, Southern California, like Manson-esque cult. Uh, it's really fun and tense, and I'm really excited to talk about it. We have an all-star book club for that um, group uh, for that book as well. Uh, a lot of great people coming in to talk about that one. Uh, so that is coming up soon. Again, um, 702-751-READ is the voicemail number to call, or you can write us at readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com if you want to read the book and be a part of the book club. We'd love to have you. But today, we're going to talk to Jensen Karp. Jensen Karp is a writer. Uh, he is a former rapper, and he came on the podcast to talk about his new book, which just came out. It's called Kanye West Owes Me $300 and Other True Stories from a White Rapper Who Almost Made It Big. Uh, it's a wonderful read. It's so much fun. And Jensen is just one of those guys who's really compelling. Uh, he has so many great stories and he's a really wonderful, sweet, smart, sharp dude. So I'm really glad that he came in and talked about his book. Let's listen to a brief ad and then come back with Jensen Karp. Today's show is sponsored by Howl.fm. It's like Netflix, but for podcasts. How premium subscribers now have access to the first 13 seasons. Wow, Jimmy Pardo has been doing this podcast for a long time. It's called Never Not Funny. The full archives are available to you, How premium subscribers. And how much is that? $4.99 per month. That's it. Five buck. Plus, you get all 28 shows from the Comedy Bang Bang 2016 live tour, 150 hours of Howl original miniseries, and over 100 comedy albums. It's all there on Howl.fm. And do you want a discount? You want a code? 
I'll give you a code, READ, R-E-A-D, and you get a whole month free right now. So go to howlhowl.fm, use the promo code READ for a free month of Howl Premium. Are you ready to do a podcast? I'm there. I mean, is this like, because you have your own show that you've done 200 and f- Over 50, 250. And then an, another 50 episodes of a previous podcast. And then I also do a Bachelor podcast after the show on Monday nights because I'm an idiot. Oh, that seems like, like it's too much. It, well, it technically is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, there's no, uh, there's no real doubt about it. That is too much. Why don't you stop? I'm going to. This is all, this is, here's the thing. I've been writing this, I wrote a book took a year to write and a year to get ready. It was all for these months. Yeah, yeah, Once yeah. these months go away, everything will make more sense. Yeah. I'll move to, you know, Zimbabwe, turn off my cell phone, change my life, give it all up. That seems like a cooler life. Thank you. I want to start with you falling asleep. By the way, before we even get into questions yeah. and answers, we're talking to Jensen Karp. He wrote a book called Kanye West Owes Me $300 and Other True <laughs> Stories from a White Rapper Who Almost Made It Big. Yeah. It's out right now. I want to begin at the beginning. You fell asleep watching Master and Commander. What the fuck is your problem? <laughs> you know, it's man? so weird. That movie has aged well because it sure has. Because now I talk about it and people go, "That's a great movie." No one ever said that back in the day. Bullshit. Nate Cordry did. <laughs> That's it. I said it loudly well, and aggressively. I'm in the minority now. On because... 14th and 4th, I saw it in Union Square Theater. And I was like, yeah. "That's a terrific movie." Well, you and Kanye West. That's the only two people who love that movie when it came out. <laughs> now people love it. Well, I, I was psyched to see it because it was directed by um, uh, Peter Weir, yeah, who's Weir. fucking great. Yeah. And I, I love that fucking movie. Yeah, it, ha- it definitely has had a nice turn of events in the last few years because it didn't. I did not hear that when I tell the story. Because I go, oh, I went and saw Master Commander with Kanye West when we were young. Uh, we, he, he really wanted to see it. We went to the theater, <laughs> which is so amazing. We went to the theater, saw it together. And then when I told people, people were like, what a dumb movie to go. And now people yeah. go, oh, Kanye loved it. It's like, it has a, like, people are like, I love that movie. Like, I've heard that yeah. more now than ever. That movie came out after A Beautiful Mind, right? Like, people went to see that movie because it yeah. was, like, those two guys yeah, I think so, who were yeah. best friends in real life or playing yeah. best pals on the ship. Yeah, right. What, what time, did you see it at, like, midnight? Did you see no, it, like, it's not during the day. No, Kanye, we would record, he would do record, he would start at, like, four or five if he was in town in L.A. That was what he, not to rap, he was producing for other people. Right. He wasn't even a close to a rapper yet. Yeah. So if we were doing something, it was earlier in the day. We went to Amoeba once together, ate at Mel's. It was all daytime stuff. <laughs> Yeah, all the cool L.A. things. Mel's (laughs) Drive-In, Master and Commander. (laughs) We really hit all the tourist spots. Um, So this is an enormous question and may be impossible to answer. Yeah. Um, But I I figure I could start sort of macro and then we can get micro. Sure. Why why a book and and why now? Um, Well, a book, I mean, they're kind of tied together, which is, um, this is a story of of my rap career, which is something that most people in comedy didn't even know existed. Like, uh, I would say 80 to 80, 90, 90% of people I worked with in comedy had no idea that at one time in my life, when I was 19 years old, I signed a million dollar record deal at Interscope for rapping. And I was pretty much LA's biggest battle rapper for a good amount of months. Um, I was a radio competition winner and I signed with Jimmy Iovine and ended up recording an album with Red Man, Fabulous, Will I Am, uh, Maya, uh, DJ Quick, DJ Clue. It was a, and, and a young Kanye West. Yeah. And, it was a story that I held around as a failure and it burdened me. So like if, if something popped up on YouTube, I would mark it and flag it as to take it off. Or if someone called me Carl, I'd, I'd alert them. It's not my name. You know, that was the name I had as a rapper. And so 
two things happened. Uh, to I kind of treated it like uh, this mark on my life. If I was in a writer's room uh, and I found out that they were watching the music video to Hot Carl, I would, I would, I'd become physically sick. Yeah. And so there was a part of my life when I, my father passed away. Uh, one of the last conversations we ever had, I still don't understand the definition of what he said at the time. I'm starting to put together what he meant, but he did say that I had to address Hot Carl to become a happier person because I was dealing with depression and anger and, and I didn't think Hot Carl was a problem. I, I knew it was over. I don't want to talk about it. It's a failure. Uh, and then I was diagnosed around the same time. About a year later, I was diagnosed with brain tumors. And when I got that, I didn't know the diagnosis. They just knew that there were three spots on my midbrain. One was very large, two were kind of small. And uh, all I knew was I was going to die. You know, I go home and I'm, I'm just a, a mess. They, don't, they won't have a real diagnosis for a week or two. And during that week or two, the thing that popped up the most was my rap career. You would think it was like a bucket list or a family or something that popped up. I only thought about my rap career because I just knew it was something I never addressed. Yeah. It was like a depression and a sadness and, and, and a uh, sort of being abandoned in this career that I thought mm. I was, they, I mean, I was sold the record deal saying I'm going to be on TRL and then yeah. it just went away. So yeah. I knew when I had the brain tumor, there was something I wanted to do. I listened to my father then at that point said, you're right, maybe. And then, then, then it kind of all came together for the book. How long after you had this first thought um, during that week? And I want to talk about that week. Yeah. Uh, but um, before we get there, so you, 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 you ponder this idea, idea of, that's my Boston accent, idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. It's me and Noma. Um, <laughs> we got an idea together. Me and Noma have an idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, you take off ours and you put ours in weird places. <laughs> so you have this idea to finally have the confidence or to finally sort of unburden yourself about what you were, what you always saw as a blemish. Absolutely. So, so how do you find that confidence to say, okay, this, I'm going to, I can no longer like hide this in the fucking dark because yeah. it, it doesn't deserve to be in this closet. It should be taken out. We should shine a light on it yeah. and tell this story. Because but, why you say that? Did yeah. I think I, because I knew I could, here's the thing. I, I did this interview with Howard Stern in 2008 or 10 or 10 maybe. And I had, they had called me years before. Howard became obsessed with the radio station a competition that I did called right. the roll call. And he yeah. just loved it. He talked about it for like a full year or two. And they called me at the beginning of it, the news, Howard 100 News, and said, we know you're the champion of the all-time roll call, which is what I am. And they said, uh, we want you to come on the news and talk about it. And I just didn't call back. So I, I'm avoiding yeah. this. And then about two years later, uh, they called me for the show that Howard wanted to do a roll call. And they figured with the champion, it would be a good, and I couldn't say no. And I had to face it. There yeah. was no chance I was saying no. And, uh, I said, well, I'm going to be Hot Carl again for a minute. And, and doing it was incredible. Wow. It was it, Because I'm a big Howard guy, as I know you are. Yeah. And I think um, I, I got another ending. Yeah. Like I, and, and then now there's another ending, one even better. The yeah. book's even better. And that's sort of what the goal of the book is for me and for people reading it, which is that if there's a dead end creatively, it's, it's actually, you just make a U-turn. There's a, there's a quote that you have in the intro. You, yeah. says this, you said this book has finally allowed me to not only recount this period of my life, but also give it the ending it deserves. Yeah. What, what does that mean? <clears throat> because I'm a comedian by trade, and I write comedy for a living. I could easily be like, and I was a Jewish rapper, wink, wink, wink. Like, right. I, like I can make as many Whole Foods parking lot jokes as possible. Like I can be the, the hammiest rapper if yeah. you want me to. That, that would be a, a disservice to me. Mm. And that's because I wanted to be famous. I had a million dollar record deal because I was a good rapper, not because I was making jokes. I 
earnestly wrote this book. I wanted yeah. people to read it and go, oh man, that was a crazy experience for him. And it's nuts that he ran into Suge Knight in a studio. And it's weird that he wrote at Cisco's house. And these stories are, <laughs> are really shiny and they're gossipy and they're fun to read. Yeah. But at its core, it's a fish out of water. It's, it's holy shit, what was going to happen? And then I got, I got eaten up by it. Yeah. What at one time was a, a jokey radio contest became my living. Yeah. And I loved it and how, I was ready. How did the foundation, like the, the original outline of the book come yeah. together? How, how, do you, how do you start? So you have this idea. I'm going to unearth all this enormous part of my life. Yeah, and a manager, a manager's idea as well. One of my managers, Ollie Obst. Okay. Yeah, at Three Arts. And so you guys, did you, did you work together or did you go off on your own and just start trying to recall all this shit and writing stuff down on note cards. Like, yeah. how did this, how did you... So I immediately had a call and, and then uh, they told me what a proposal looks like. And it yeah. was basically just three chapters, uh, an intro, an intro, three chapters, and then what, how you see it in the marketplace. Yeah. Which is like a weird final page, you know? Yeah. But I did that. I did, I did four, three or four chapters. I did an intro about what it means to me, what this book will be. Um, and at that time, the book was a collection of essays that were going to be out of order. And it wasn't going to be just rap. It was going to talk about my time writing pro wrestling. It was going to talk about all these weird things I've done. And then at the end, be the same ending, mm. which is like, you go through all these things to get, this is the worst time of my life. Yeah. And these are all the good things. And, and it was a cool idea, but the company immediately, the editor was like, uh, we want a chron, because they were very fast crowned to buy it. And they were like, but we want a chronological and we only want the story of your rap career. And hmm. And I went, yeah, because that's a better book. Yeah, yeah. Like I immediately was like, yeah, that, that's right. And I, right. that's why I signed so fast to them because I was like, he knows what I'm supposed to write. Yeah. And then um, and then I went on my own. No, no one ever helped me. No one helped me with the word of this book. No one helped you recount like and remember stories? My mother, certain- my mother uh, I make the joke that my mom is the closest uh, thing to Afini Shakur uh, that the world has. She kept all of my things like it was Tupac and they were getting ready to put out like a poetry album. <laughs> and uh, like, it was so, she was like a historian. Yeah. And so she had every photo, you know, the, the picture of me and Kanye that's been, been you know, everywhere this week um, is because she found it two, with two days left um, with book deadline. She wow. was going through stuff and was like, I found this. And I was Holy like, that's Kanye West. Shit. Um, and so like, she was, she has everything. She has, there's things in there from a 12, I, when I was 12 years old, I had a small uh, thing with, with hip hop as well. And uh, I opened for Ice-T when I was a kid. She found that backstage pass. Wow. I mean, what is she doing? Holy she's shit. She's a maniac. She's a hoarder. Well, she's, she's, no, I mean, I mean yes, she is all of those <laughs> yeah, things. Yes. But I also like, I feel th- there's another big question that I have. And I think I already know what, this, what the answer to yeah. it is. But how do you, you, you talk so much about the beginning of the book being 12 or 11, or I, don't, I forget how old you were when yeah. you actually started, yeah. but you were such an outsider and you were the only kid sort of pursuing this, yeah. specifically as a white kid in this neighborhood. Yeah. And then- Area code even. Right, yeah. yeah. And then for you to have the confidence when these bullies were chasing around school, yeah. calling you a wigger. Yeah, want to be black guy, yeah. Yeah, and then for you to say- for you to say, fuck that. This yeah. is what I, I want to, this is what I want to do. I mean, uh, to be honest, I retreated a bit in, yeah. in the sense that I wasn't so rappy the next year. Yeah. And that was a thing I had to do to survive. Right. You know, but then, yeah, then as rap got bigger, right. it was easier for me to admit what I was doing. But I, in all my high school, and, and last night we had the release party and a lot of them were there. And they treated me, in a, it was like a, not even a good parlor trick. It was like if a city kid transferred to our school, yeah. I was like, knock the gimp, wake up the gimp. And then I'd battle that kid and then that kid would go away. Yeah. And then that was it. And right. so I, I, there was never a time uh, at any point in my life, middle school or high school, that it was really ever accepted till I got to college. Well, then how, then how do you keep on going? I don't know. I your mean, mother. My mother was, your, yeah. Your fucking my, my mother. My mother was strong. And so she, she was... Um, 
a background singer. She toured USO in the 70s. Um, she toured the Vietnam War. And I think she was um, not happy that she gave up. So I think she she married someone and sort of gave up um, mm. her her singing career, mm. and I think that she just wasn't willing to let me stop doing it. Wow! But I did adjust. I, I definitely adjusted. I knew not to like just talk about rap because yeah. my high school ended up bringing out you know Incubus and Lincoln Park and Hoobastank. All them they all came from the same area. Wow! So that whole that's my years. Those are literally the four years I went to high school. Yeah. So like that was just we had three bands that went platinum. Like that's crazy. God, that's fucking crazy. crazy. Yeah, one of them. I both of them. I would, Incubus has probably done ten. 25 million records. Lincoln Park's done over 100 million. So I get why all the Holy attention was on them. Shit. You know, that attention deserves to be on them. Wow. But but rap was, I mean, I was booed off stage when we did, we were asked to do a seventh grade dance. We got booed off stage. Um, fuck, they were chanting, fuck, fuck hip hop. Fuck, fuck hip- rap, fuck yeah, rap, you're fuck right. Rap, um, right. And, that was, and, that, and that shit's crazy because now those are the kids, I mean, rap rules the world. Of course, yeah. And, and you could, it would be hard to find a white kid who's not it, singing along to, you know, Meek Mill. I just, I just find it incredible. It's one of the, the, the things that is, is so inspiring about the book is that you just don't, you don't give up. Like you just kept on, even in, like in the face of people, and because you were good, uh, but so many people were saying like, you don't fit in this world. Yeah. I don't want you in this world. Yeah. You are the fucking outsider. And it's a, but it's a small violin because it, it wasn't black people who were telling me not to do it. Yeah, like, yeah, black people, yeah. Like when they'd see me rap, they fucking loved it. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was like there's video of me at that 12 year old performance that my father took, and while I'm doing the Running Man, you know, and killing it, <laughs> the dudes <laughs> off to the side of the stage are yelling "Go white boy!" They love me. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that was all a rhyme syndicate, you know, all right. Ice T's group, and like I never was told no by them. Right. They were they were they loved that I was myself. Gotcha. It's that the hip hop culture I was raised in. It was non-existent. Yeah, like there, there was no. I had to go to. I had to go to shows at the House of Blues. If the Far Side was performing, I, I went. I mean, I went to see the Far Side, but I, I legitimately went to find ciphers. I went to find other dudes right. I could rap with. Yeah, and then, and then I'd had to search for battles, and that ended up in some crazy stories. So like, it was just it. It, it wasn't made for me, and I, yeah. I. I'm very cautious of reappropriation. So even at 12 years old, I mean, I sounded like a little midget, you know, uh, pitchfork critic. But the truth, <laughs> but the truth is, I, I needed. I, I was so specific about my own. I was very specific about what I needed and yeah. what I needed to do, and how I didn't need to sound a certain way, and I didn't need to. I didn't need to like you know vulture this this hip hop culture. I wanted to make sure it was me, and that's not necessarily something that's hot in the year 1995. No, fuck no. They don't want to hear that. That's the thing that I'm so taken by with this book was just like the fact that you just stuck to your guns and. And even though people were saying no, and right, it wasn't it wasn't that it was like the black community, it the black community no. saying no. They were only giving you positive reinforcement. Yeah. So I guess that makes it a little bit a little yeah. bit easier. I I mean I I always had great experiences with Kanye, Redman, Fabulous, nobody. I mean, they all they all liked working with me. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't it. I think I also look like an accountant. So it's like it's yeah. not just that I it's not just that I don't sound like your normal rapper. I, you know, I, I look like JJ Abrams. Right. So it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's kind of a, a, that's also part of the thing. It's a gimmick, but it's not really, a, and I say that on the song I've heard, which is a song I wrote pretty much the last day of my rap career. Um, and it's sort of a weird soundtrack for this book. And in that I said, you know, um, I've heard my a gimmick, I, I've heard I'm just a gimmick that cashes in on a fad. Well, if that's so hot, why is my career so bad? Yeah. Which is like a true statement because it's like, if I'm supposed to be, oh, he's a white guy, that's going to be a gimmick. Well, why aren't there any of them at yeah, that time? Yeah. It's just them. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Bubba, Bubba Sparks and I, we didn't have hot careers. Right. You know, and then uh, there's a million names. Haystack, Apathy. Yeah. There's names of guys who came up with us. They, they weren't blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you're a manager now, I know. A little bit, yeah. Um, uh, how many do you represent just this just one? Just Nova. I, yeah, founder through a friend, through R.A. the Rugged Man, another rap legend in the white world. Uh, yeah. He had sent me um, an email uh, with her videos, and I watched him over time, kind of her develop on YouTube, and then I flew her out to L.A. We put her in with a bunch of my friends. She signed a record deal in, I don't know, a month. Yeah. Uh, she's been working for two years doing the, the music industry grind. So Yeah. Yeah. Does, I mean, is it is it because of what you experienced? What kind of, what kind of... I mean, as a manager, it seems like you'd be you'd be a great candidate to work with someone young and coming up in the business because you've seen it. All. Yeah, but I'm more of like a men- I'm more of like an angel on the shoulder than I am a manager. Yeah, and that's where my strength is with her, and she's like my daughter. So it's it's more of like I know I I know that the be- in my opinion, yeah, the best way to manage someone is to let them do their thing in 2016. Yeah, because like the the system doesn't exist. She needs to make viral videos. She needs to do these things. I can give suggestions, but what I do is I tell her, you know, if we get, she did, she got a big record deal. She got a lot of money at one point. I said, that might be the last check you see yeah. in, in five years. Yeah. You know, so let's keep that in mind. Those kind of things is yeah. what I'm strong about because no one's going to tell you that. Yeah. Does she ever, like, what was the last time she came to you asking for some sort of, like, advice within the industry and what, what, what advice did you give her? Um, I mean, there's specifics now that probably aren't that interesting, but, but I think the strong one for me is, is, you know, she was, she had a single that was ready to go to radio, which is, you know, that's the trigger. That's the, yes, that's that's the, when the label starts spending a million dollars on your stuff is when you go to radio. And we were told we're not going to radio, uh, about six hours before we left for a radio tour, which is crazy, Holy but that shit. happens all the time. Yeah, It's yeah, not yeah. that, you know, it's not that that's cra- just the fucking deal. It sucks, that's but just it's, the deal. it's, you know, and that's where I would go mm. into my room and cry. Yeah. That's where I would, that's where I'd become the depressed monster you see yeah. in the book. And uh, I'm there to tell her, what do you, who cares? Yeah. These people don't care about you. Yeah, exactly. Let's keep moving. You know, yeah. and that, to have someone like that, I think that's my strength because that's what the book does for me. You know, the book finally allowed me to be that for myself. But I think, you know, to not take everything so hard. Yeah. Because these people are just, you know, they're just suits trying to keep their job. Right. Yeah. Um, will you explain to me, you explain it um, very cleverly in the book, but to my listeners who may not know, uh, you found sort of like your muscle through the roll call. Yeah. What is a roll call? <laughs> yeah. What happens? So yeah, the who roll, listens? Yeah, it was and a, why don't I know what a roll call okay, is? Okay, it was a tradition here in Los Angeles created by these guys named the Baker Boys. They uh, were radio DJs here at, at Power 106, and they ended up being at the Beat 92.3, our two big urban stations at the time, 100.3 as well. Uh, they flipped frequencies. And so uh, you call in, they created, it went to Hot 97, then went to other cities as well, but it started here in LA. Yeah. You call in, three to four people battle over the phone with a call and response four bar thing. So you would say, uh, one for the trouble, two for the rhyme, it's the roll call, who's on that line? I would then say, it's Hot Carl, ready to kill, blah, 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 two lines. Then they say, that sounds cool, that may be, where you calling from, what city? Then you're supposed to put your city in it, but a lot of people just pretend, you know, don't have to do it. But I'd be calling from the valley, da, 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 da. Yeah. So then you, then, but you have to do punchlines or you have to battle the other people. So how does the battle work? Like, so, so how, so there's like three or four people on the line simultaneously? Yes. And the DJ is jumping. Yeah, he's pressing the button. You know when you're coming in because it goes, and then now you hear the song closer. Right. Yeah, and then you're on. Yeah, and it's real. It's, and, it's, are, and are you, I mean, the first time you're just saying who you are and, and your point of view as yeah. a young person. Yeah. And then someone else has a response. And and so are you, like the second time it comes around, are you attacking that person? Yeah. Or are you just well, that's defending what, who you are? Well, that's what you do if you're smart. If you're smart, you can get the people. You go you fight. Can, you can, yeah, you can snipe them. Gotcha, but gotcha, I, gotcha. Th- most people can't do that. Because it's mostly kids and they like wrote down their lyrics and they're nervous. Right. But I was like, I had nothing to lose. So like if a kid stumbled on a word, I'd be like, and, and Jeff stumbled on, you know, and I'd bring up 
yeah, what yeah. was said in theirs. Um, or I would, you know, get ready and, and have names. If I heard, okay, that guy's name is this, I'd quickly jot something down about, you know, MC Flames. Yeah. Oh, it's an easy thing to get. Yeah. So like I would, I would write that down. That was what I was good at. And but but you say I mean I I feel like you should take more credit because you say like you had nothing to lose and the, these other kids were nervous like you were just as nervous as them right wasn't not, there not at twenty when I was when I was doing it as a kid yeah but when, but when you're at SC I'm also like at that point I'm not it's not my real name they asked me my name right before I went on and right. I went and I went Jen and I went nope and I because I knew that would that would stumble me so would the other people say like my name is Frank Johnson Adam Rosenthal <laughs> <laughs> no I think uh, I don't think they but they did have that. they have rap names yeah I didn't have one. So right. at that time, I had them growing up. Yeah. Shucks, I went by Shucks a lot, which was like that, you know, ah, oh, Shucks. Yeah, yeah, like you don't great. expect me to do it. Yeah. And so uh, I went, and then I went, Ooh, and the first thing came to mind was Hawk Carl, which is a term for shitting on someone's chest, which I'd heard it like frat houses or whatever, but I it, I don't know why it came to mind. It worked because in battling, you shit on people's chest. Like, oh, I shit on that dude. But you you don't know, like that wasn't why I picked it. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so I knew if Hawk Carl messes up, no one's going to know I did it. Right. And then day two, right. day two, right. I barely told anyone. Day three, I'm like, oh my God. Day four, I start telling people. And I'm on, now I'm, I'm, and I talked about it last night. There's never been a time in my life where I've been more skilled at something than those four months. Yeah. Because I would stay at home in a dorm room and I would put six magazines on the floor and I would open each of those magazines to a random page. And then I would battle each magazine and I would do it until it was perfect. So three, four hours. I was, I hear what LeBron does about basketball. And I was like, there was a year right. of my life that I did that for rap. Rap right. battling. What do you mean you battle the magazine? Like so, I, like if if a, a Sean Connery pops up, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's like I'll make fun of the. Uh, that's quick. I can make fun of a movie he's in. Gotcha. Or you know whatever. And then the next one's a a, a model. I can make fun of her. Right. You know. And then uh, hit it, hit it. And then each Tom Selleck's in the next one. I'll hit him. People magazines up. And then right. when I'm done with those six, I flip each page again. Yeah. And I can't change them back. You have to have whoever's on the page. Where did you find that? I mean, before you were doing it on the roll call or in rapping, like how did you? Where did that? develop like the quickness develop like in high just, school i would battle so yeah. I, would, I would go find battles there were none of my school but i would i would drive around but they're always schools. funny always uh or mean yeah 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 or mean but but in uh i mean you didn't want to get your your teeth knocked out but i mean i guess that was part of the deal like that was the was risk that you, that's 100 the risk i took right always but i mean it feels like because you were smart and funny that you had an advantage like were you like, were you watching tons of comedy as a kid? Like, yeah. did you have, did, yeah. were your parents Rickles, like? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Piscopo Hour on HBO. I mean, I watched oh, every Dennis what? Miller. What? What remember, is that? Do you remember the Joe Piscopo Hour? No. Oh, it was great. He did what an years? hour. He did an hour in, uh, oh God, 19, I'd say 91, but I'd probably be wrong. It was 90. an hour special? He did an hour special and I loved it. I mean, it's, you know, these guys are all pieces of shit now. Piscopo sucks. Dennis Miller sucks. But at one time, these guys were like, <laughs> they were like my heroes. And then Let's Get Small. You know, the ones that are really good, I oh, love yeah. Steve. And like, there were one, you know, Carlin, whatever. And my dad, would when we went to Vegas, he would buy me tickets. I saw Leno in Vegas, another piece of shit now, but a great guy then in the yeah, early yeah. 90s. Uh, saw Leno kill at, in Vegas, and, and good Leno. Yeah. And then Carlin in, in Vegas. I, he would take me to see those. Was your dad saying, hey, Jensen, come with me? Or were no. you saying, dad, I no, want to see these. Yeah, I want to see them. Well, I mean, how many other kids that you hung around with were like interested in going to see stand-ups? Just my friend BJ, yeah, just BJ growing so up. So how did how like how did that happen? How did you how were you like that one you and BJ were the only two kids who Through like, SNL, I think. I think that yeah. we just both would stay up. And then also like any of those, it's just Steve Martin was a big one for us, but but like anything, we gravitated towards Wayne's world and and then that opens up to smarter and then that opens up to smarter and then that opens up yeah. and then you're 20 and you're like trying it. to find UCB. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. that's just the way that it went for us. And then hip hop for me was always top. 
Yeah. So it was hard for me to find a middle ground between the two without it being like two live Jews or just some shitty thing right. that's a joke. Right. So I was always like, oh my God, Ice Cube had a punchline here. Right. No Vaseline was funny to me. Yeah, yeah, you know, those, yeah, yeah Some yeah. of those things were funny. So I, you know, Chino XL is a very obscure lyricist, but he was funny to me. So that, I liked him. And so, so I was trying to find as many middle grounds without becoming a, a comedy rapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's why I like Andy Samberg so much, uh, which isn't like a hip hop thing to say, but I, that, that Bin Laden song that's in the movie is kind of a hit. It's mm-hmm. just good on its own. I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good. I, I mean, it's, great. It, it's just like, there's parts where, where it's like, oh, that's just good rap. And that was what I was always trying to do is, is make good rap and be funny at the same time. What's the greatest um, like hip hop comedy? Friday? Is there something? What's, um, what's the best? Friday's great. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm not being a jerk. I'm no, actually no, no. trying to find something I've never played. Jensen has publicly. his phone in his hand. That's why uh, he's apologizing. I'm not being a jerk. No. I, I actually have never done this. You I, want I, to take a picture of me? No. Is that what you're doing? Yes, I want to take a picture. Go ahead, just take I, a picture of me. It's I all right. found. Let me see if I could play. There's so many great stories in this book, and I don't want you to like retell the stories because people should buy the book and read them themselves. But there is one story that I had a big question about, less about the nuts and bolts of the story, but how, like, why you responded in the way that you responded. There was a rapper by the name of Mac Ten, yeah, um, who I had never heard of, but that means gangster rap, absolutely nothing. He was in with Ice Cube. Oh, okay, yeah, um, and he came to your house. In Woodland Hills? Yeah, Woodland Hills. Came to your house. He had a, a briefcase. He with- met my mother. I guess it would be weird. He just shows up. My mother <laughs> is a, a a typical Jewish neighborhood mother. Will tell everyone what her son is doing. Yeah. She randomly told a person who owns a mailbox shop that she has a, a P.O. box app. My son is on the radio rapping. She goes, my son's a rapper. Her son was Mac 10. Holy shit. She, he's, she said, oh, well, he's going to be on the radio tonight. Listen at 6 o'clock. He listened. He called his mother. The mother looked up my mom's number from her mailbox and said, Mac wants to call your son. Then I pick up the phone. He says, where are you? I said, I'm in Woodland Hills. And then he came to my house. So he shows up. <laughs> yeah. He shows up. In a Bentley. And you're 16, 17? No, I'm 19. 19. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. You were at USC, USC at the time. Yeah. So he comes. I'm doing laundry at my parents. Right. That's why I'm there. Gotcha. Yeah. He, and he shows up with uh, a briefcase with $50,000 in it. Cash, yeah. Okay. How do you not take that money? Because I'd seen behind the music so much. And also, Mac-10 is a, uh, he's an admitted gang member. I'm not making something up. That's not right. hyperbole. He says he's a gang member. So there was parts of me, I just met him. I ended up becoming friends with him. He's a very sweet man. But at the time, I had no idea about that. So there's a guy saying, this isn't, he was even like, this isn't what I'm, this is just a bonus. Right. You're just going to take this. Right. And that's going to mean you'll sign a deal when we agree on it. Right. Well, to me, I go, what, what if I don't sign the deal? Then I have $50,000 cash. Right. So none of this is adding up. So I'm saying, and also, this isn't a job for me. I'm just on the radio. This is like day eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. God damn. And so like, I'm like, I don't know. Everything was too fast. So So fast. And that's what I told him is like, listen, this is a hobby. You know, and that was when he said to me, he said, when he's leaving, he goes, dude, uh, and he was, he he was like, fuck. He's like, do not call this a hobby. Yeah. He's like, he said, if you keep doing that, it's going to. 
it's going to be a big backfire for you because this is a job. And, and if you ruin it by saying this is something you're not taking serious, it's your fault. Yeah, I highlighted that quote in the yeah. book because it, it, it stands out. It he just, told me a lot of good quotes, man. Yeah. And then when I went to go sign to Interscope, I went to get advice from him. And he said that San Francisco 49ers metaphor. Yeah, it's amazing. Which Young is brilliant. Montana. Because he said, because Eminem was on the label and I asked him if he thought that was a problem for me. Yeah. And he goes, I don't know, man. All I know is if Joe Montana was still on the 49ers, Steve Young would have never played. Exactly. And I was like, look at you, Splinter. <laughs> like Master Splinter here. Just like with these dropping knowledge gems. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, it, it's pretty thoughtful of a 19 year old, even though you'd seen a lot of behind the music. But for you to say no to fifty thousand dollars cash in front of you, I don't. I don't know if I would. Been, I tried to put my when I was reading that passage. I was like, let me put myself in my position when I'm that age yeah. and where I was in my life. And I don't know if I would have been able to. And I was like, I, we. I was not raised with money. We were yeah. middle class. My father was a car salesman. <clears throat> my mother was in advertising. Yeah, she did advertising for a, a junk mail, and so fifty thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, that's life-changing money. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Well, it took a lot. I was eating ramen like the day lot. before in, in the college. Um, how, yeah, yeah. Uh, He's been interviewed about it a bunch. And each time he says, uh, yeah, I don't know why I didn't take it. Oh, He's like, I'm shocked. A. Yeah, Crazy. Yeah. Um, it, it's insane to me that while you were signing with Interscope, you had this record deal that you were still a college student at yeah. SC. Like, how did you get your work done? I have no idea. Like, I did, how did, I did you... 40 units senior year. I did 20 and 20. I don't know. Jesus But that's Christ. when I do my good shit, man. I do my good what shit. What do you mean? When, what does that mean? Because like when I have a lot going on, yeah. I like I challenge myself to get it done. And that's yeah. when I'm it's when I'm not doing anything that I like I don't do anything. Yeah. But like when I, you're not do when when you're not doing anything, does that when like depression, that kind of yeah. stuff sort of motivation's like, lacking. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and that's and, and and so in the book you'll realize I suffer from obsessive thoughts disorder, which is a real thing. It's um like obsessive compulsive disorder, but it's just thoughts. Yeah. So the same way that you know like Monk would wash his hands fifty times. Yeah. I have to think about the TV show Monk fifty times. Just right. different two different things. Yeah. And so uh but the same obsession. Um I run I've taken medicine for it for twenty years. Yeah. It's never worked. It's never I when I was seven years old I told my um, parents that I can't sleep because I keep seeing the um, tombstones of my grandparents. They weren't dead. Very cool kid. Good at parties. Wow. And so when I went to a therapist, she kind of misdiagnosed it a lot. And it's really just that I obsessively think about something. And so that helps in business. That helps in a lot of things. Um, but it can be garnered two ways. One, you can just absolutely be the saddest person you know, because all you're thinking about is your own failure, your own whatever. Yeah. And then there's another thing, which is like, I got to finish this article. Yeah. Or I got to finish writing this. Yeah. Or I got to, whatever. And that's a great obsession. Yeah. Not great to find love. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you, you know, you get it done. Yeah. And in, 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 in like, as far as my hip hop career, obsessive thoughts yeah. save me. Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah, like, I, I have homework, I have homework, I have this, yeah. I have this, everything. Repeats until I do it. Yeah, is it good right now? Because we were talking before we came yeah. in, where you, you know it's it's been a year uh, writing it, and then a year sort of building up to this point. Yes. Now that the book has been released, yeah. and your life has just been fucking chaos. Crazy couple days. Yeah. Is this is that is that helpful uh, to be so busy, or is it is it? Are you being overwhelmed? It would be the worst in the world if I didn't spend fifteen years working on where we're at. Yeah, you yeah, know, because yeah. I I was uh, I was mentally ill. Uh, I had a breakdown, which is what is in the book. Yeah, and uh, have you been to Jamaica? Uh, <laughs> I will never go. Uh, probably not. I will never go back. Uh, my, it's funny because Nova, the rapper that I, I manage, is yeah. from Canada and Jamaica. She was raised in both, and uh, she was like, "We're going to do a show in Jamaica this day." And I was like, "I listen, read the book, <laughs> and then we'll deal with it." Uh, I will not be there. Yeah, I won't be there. Um, so I had a mental breakdown, and uh, that was the end for me in rap. And I think 
be, from that moment on, I've been working on getting to this point. I run. Running is my savior. Mm. So I, I, I run three and a half miles, basically, when it's not crazy. I run it every day. Yeah. And so um, that has been the thing that has kept me grounded and also helped me through these things. But no, this would be a nightmare for o- OCD. Yeah, or I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's it's under control. Thank you. Me too. Um, about three-fourths into the book, we get into your experience with Kanye, which is um, – which is the foundation of the title. Yeah. Uh, and it's just one story of the book. Yeah, yeah. it's a great story. Thanks. Um, but I mean, you were you were guilty along with everyone else of not uh, taking him seriously. He Absolutely. wasn't a rapper; he was no. a producer. Yeah. Uh, there was some. There's a story where he was rapping um, in the studio, and they left, and everyone just started fucking mocking his voice. Yeah, and that was, and, by the way, he rapped "Jesus Walks." That's fucking insane. That was the song he did, and then, everyone, abs- and then everyone laughed. That's insane. That's I didn't laugh. Insane. In my defense, I didn't laugh. His fervor, his like, yeah, is the laughable part. Yeah, and I think people just there weren't rapper producers. That wasn't like a thing. Dre was really all we had. Yeah, and he just was a dweeb. He had adult braces. He dressed weird. He he was just a dork. And yeah. so like to have a producer be like, I'm a rapper too, and then force it onto people, which is what he did. Right. And then you know it was, just, it was a combination of things that just made him kind of unbearable. Yeah, you said there was, you guys were having uh, lunch or dinner, and he wanted to rap to a waitress. Waitress, she's yeah. like, no, and he, he just did it anyway. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just who he was. And by the way, he was really fun. He was nice and a little quiet. And these are things that you see signs of what he became. Yeah, yeah. But I, I enjoyed him, you know, enough to loan him the three hundred dollars, which is that I wanted to hang out with him longer. Yeah. The fact that he he had to get a train. The train stopped at twelve. I said, "Well, you're we're working on a song." Yeah. And he goes, "Well, I can't go back." I go, "Well, let me get you a car get service." The car. Yeah. yeah. Um, you were you were um, you recorded some music. I love this story, but uh, for. NBA Live for yeah. EA Sports. NBA Live 2003. That's so incredible. <laughs> um, I want that on my tombstone. That's like one of the, I don't know, I mean, you've had a fascinating career, but that that kind of stuff, just because those games, oh. when I, I was just obsessed with those games. My, my dreams, uh, that, yeah. that's the biggest. Yeah. 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 Um, what is the greatest um, basketball video game in history? Lakers versus Celtics. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay. 100%. It's We're not a question. On. We're moving it's, on. It's over. Now, you know what I loved in college? I mean, uh, Lakers versus Celtics on what platform? Genesis. Okay. Sure. You didn't have Genesis? No, I was I my parents wouldn't allow me to have a video game system, so I had a computer. Emulated. Added. Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, I also had it on computer. It was very good. It was great. But I'll the tell you what the difference is. I was gonna tell shoot. you. I was gonna tell you the difference is that Genesis was just fluid. Yes. Everything was more fluid yeah, than that, that game. That, I had that, both. That, I had it, both. <laughs> Tom Ch- do you remember Tom Chambers? Tom Chambers, yeah, of course. The greatest Portland. dunk of Dude. all time. Oh god. He I, would dunk from the basically from the side of from yes. the three point line. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a glitch, yeah. It's like a weird glitch based on one dunk he did once. You just give him the ball every single time. Yeah, it was great. I mean, because I'm from Boston. Bird I, from the corner with the flip three, the turnaround three. Oh, that was shit. Bird's move because everyone had a signature move. Yeah, yeah, Jordan yeah. had the underbridge. Layout, yes, yes. And then oh, everyone God. had one move. Did Do- Dominique was in that game too, Yeah, right? he did like a turn. And then Kenny Walker, I think, on the Knicks. Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I think he had like a big dunk with his arm out. Yeah, just yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like that was on the fucking, like. <laughs> like on the box. Yeah, yeah. Kenny Walker, now yeah. definitely homeless. Fucking But at one Kenny time had his Walker. own signature move. Yeah. 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 I forgot about Tom Chambers, but yeah. uh, one of the games that I, that I was obsessed with in college for, yeah, for Genesis was um, the college basketball game. Oh, NCAA. Yes, NCAA, NCAA ninety five or ninety six. So it was Cherokee Parks oh, was the center for Duke, Duke. and um, uh, the, well, Grand Hill had to be there. Grand Hill was there. Yeah, Thirty three. Uh, fuck, there was. Uh, who is the center for North Carolina? Oh, Eric Mont- Montross. Yeah, Mont- yeah, former yeah. Celtic. Great, yeah. Eric Montross. Yeah, um, that game. 
I fucking love that game. I remember it because it was all numbers. That, that, that's, yeah, how they, exactly. that's how they got sued. Right. Charles O'Bannon sued exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can't use college numbers. It's right. likenesses. Right. Yeah. Uh, Travis Best, number yeah. seven for- yeah. uh, Ar- Arkansas? No. Uh, no. Uh, there you go. Ju- uh, Georgia State. Oh, Mar- Marbury was on one of those too for the one year he went to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, yeah. That's or maybe them. Marbury was three, Marbury. Number three. Fuck. Who These was? were. By the way, this is people who don't uh, are number one bored. Uh, you're, you're wrong. It's great. No way. Two. Yeah. I'll tell you another thing. Why this is cool. So the NCAA now you can't do this anymore in video games, but you can't pay athletes to be in video games. Yeah. But so you can't use their faces. But what they would do is they would just do UNLV number one. And right. you're like, oh, that's Stacey Ogman. Yeah, exactly. Like you would know who the players were. And it's just like a loophole. Yeah. Until uh, a player on UCLA sued yes. uh, the video game companies. And then yeah. now they can never do it again. Cherokee Parks for Duke was seven feet Big tall white, white guy, dude yeah. with brown hair. Montrose so. had a flap top. Yeah. yeah. It was like they, they, you had all the characteristics. It just wasn't them. Obviously. So uh, funny. I'm tr- I, I'm moving on now to uh, Tapper, yes. which is, uh, it's so funny because you, you like, you, you got some of this some money from getting this deal, and one of the first things that you purchased was a stand-up yeah. arcade uh, 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 coin-op. Yeah, coin-op yeah, op th- arcade game. Yeah, um, uh, that you got from Canada. Canada. Okay, it's hard to get games then because the internet wasn't a thing. It was, oh, but like oh. not a great thing. Okay. So it was like now you can find an arcade game probably anywhere. Yeah. Probably in Covina. I, but at the time yeah. I had to like really search it out to find a good one and I found one in Canada. I made the mistake of, uh, sometimes I, dr- I think I mentioned this on the show before, but instead of like drunk dialing, I drunk eBay. <laughs> well, I get home and I'll just get on eBay and it's it just great. all of a sudden I have something that I shouldn't have. Yeah. When I was living in New York one night, um, I had some, I don't know, I made some money from a commercial or something and I was like, you know what I need? I need a stand up uh, uh, RBI baseball oh. game, like the original RBI baseball, yeah. which is like the fucking the arcade greatest. one. Yeah. Yeah. The arcade. Yeah, I love that one. Found it in uh, uh, Tacoma, Washington. Bought it. It was. It wasn't that expensive. It was like four hundred dollars. Okay. But I didn't figure that. I didn't understand that the shipping was freight, and the thing oh. weighs like one hundred seventy pounds yeah. or whatever. That's you're being nice. Yeah, it's gotta be bigger, heavier than that. Yeah, 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 something like that. So I get an email the next day. The sh- the freight, which would take like six weeks to get yeah. there, was like eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. Ends up like, doubling. Oh, That's the whole fuck. secret. If you can find it in your city, you're stoked. But yeah. I was just willing to throw money away. I bought that in an expedition, so I was like your typical rapper and also like the kid from Big. <laughs> it was like a perfect cross between the two people, <laughs> like, like a perfect mix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I sent an email to the guy saying I was drunk. I made a mistake. Can I send you a hundred dollars and you make this go away? And he's like, Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, just dream. You talk about going to uh, to see Eight Mile. Yeah, and on I just, my birthday. Yeah, I feel like that, well, how come that seems like I don't know. just because I was pouring fun. Yeah, it was right I about the time it. I left. When you're when you're having those types of problems and you're feeling sad and you've had like some sort of like career or like personal disappointment, yeah. sometimes you just want to fucking sit in it. You want to put salt on it. Yeah, you just want to bathe in That's it. That's what I did, and, okay. I, and I and I basically was leaving Interscope that month around yeah. November eighth of that year, and I just was like, fuck it, and I went to go see it, and I was like, and the funny thing is when I'm walking out, I think I'm with a with a friend, I forget who, and they go, did you like it? And I go. Yeah, but like if you watch it backwards, it's my career, <laughs> which is like yeah. a sad feeling from battler to like factory worker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, instead yeah. of factory worker to battler. Uh, right. But you know, I got it. I yeah. get it. I get it. It was great. Whatever. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was a killer too because everyone walked away being like, oh man, what a battle at the end. And it is. And it's great that it was captured on film, but like a lot of us have been doing that for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like get to your skin first so right. that they don't use it. I mean, that's, we all did that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Good for him for putting it on film. Yeah. But but yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. hard for me because it was like he didn't invent that. That's a thing that's been around forever. Right. I have uh, a million lines about being white. R- of course. I have like uh, the Jewish one is the easiest, which is like, uh, 
you call me Jewish, you think that's funny, who you think takes care of all your favorite rapper's money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and right. all, I had 17 of those. Right. It was like the easiest, you know. <laughs> Will you tell me about the edis- editing process with this book? Yeah. Like, what did you, what what did it look like before it, it, like, you finally get the the okay from the editor and the publisher saying, this is the final copy that's going to be mass produced and sent to bookstores. Sure. Like, what did it look like before then? Uh, I, I guess you'd have to ask them if it's similar to other people, but I feel like um, things got moved around a little bit. Things became their own chapter. Uh, things they thought could be mm. um, evolved more. Hey, we mm. really liked you talking about this. The last minute I added um, the story about the, there's, I was at a party where there was a shooting. Yeah. So that made it in the last few weeks because I really mm. didn't remember a lot of details. Spoke to my mom, worked that out, looked it up online, a bunch of stuff, figured out what happened there. Talked mm. to friends because I was with friends that night. Yeah. Um, and so I added that in. A couple things here or there that helped because I felt we needed more battle stuff. We needed, there were things like that that were in the notes. Um, and so I would add that in. Um, yeah. And then there's stories I'd call them. I go, hey, I didn't put this in. Do you like it? And they go, no or yes. And um, and then I would put it in, put it in or leave it out. Was there, I know it's, all about sort of like you have to kill your darlings. Was there something that you didn't have uh, make it in the final copy of the book that you wish? I wanted. Um, yeah. That you still, that's... No, not really. I think everything everything's in there. Shit. I think I, I, I left out stuff because <clears throat> a lot of people, Hannibal Burris wrote my um, one of my blurbs and he wrote, uh, Jensen's going to make a lot of enemies. And I was like, oh, am I? Like, I that was the first time I thought that. I didn't think that at all. Right. And so I didn't think that. So, But I do feel I went out of my way to not put in bad stuff because there's stuff yeah. I left out because I just don't think it helps the book. I just think it hurts people. Yeah. And so I left that stuff out. And, yeah. I, and I think like that was probably like, I, I could have made a juicier book. And I also, there's a blind item about a celebrity that I made out with. Yes. That yeah. gave me an eye disease. Right. Uh, gave me two pink eye. Yeah. Uh, but beyond pink eye, one step above it. And uh, I decided to leave her name off. And right. I thought that was just like, because I'm not a piece of shit. And her, uh, her publicist was hanging out that yeah, night as well. Which I thought was going to become a threesome. Yeah. It did not. Didn't. Instead, she just blocked the hookup. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, she had sore feet. She yeah. had to take care of that. But thank God she blocked it. Because yeah. if I, from making out and hooking up a little bit, I can get two pink eyes. I can only imagine what the rest of my life would be like. What do you, uh, what do you think uh, about how like Eminem's career has evolved since he was the biggest star in the it's fucking like a, universe? Is it a, it's a bummer. Yeah. It like bums okay. me the fuck out. Okay. I felt like he, like even when I was like sad that he kind of got to my career before I could, yeah. like he still was like kind of Dylan. Like there were parts yeah. when he would write Stan or he would write Lose Yourself and I go, this is better than anything I could ever do. Yeah. It, it is. It's better than anything I could have done. Yeah. And I felt good losing to that. You know, mm. I'm losing to the best, one of the best rappers of all time. Mm. Yeah. And then now it's like to not grow or evolve and still have Christopher Reeves jokes and homophobic jokes and misogynist jokes. It's like, who, you're 40 something years old. You have a daughter out of college. Yeah. What's the story? Uh, what happened? Did he I, just I think get, drugs. I think he, he just, just stunted himself through addiction, which is a terribly sad thing. And, and I, I get it because like, Rapping was weird. Yeah. Being in that industry was weird. Touring is weird. But yeah, he just stunted his growth. And now it feels like they hand him a song with a hook in it, already done by Rihanna. And then he raps the verses, and then he hands it in. And you're right. like, well, this isn't anything revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if he's one of those artists who just became so enormous and surrounded himself with these yes men and just sort of like no longer, this happens a lot with musicians and actors yeah. and artists, they just no longer become people. Or hungry. They're just, They're not hungry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe that's what it was. So much money, so much fame, so fast, so much positive reinforcement. And hip-hop's weird. You got to remember, hip-hop is weird because your first album is about usually your your, thir- your hunger. Yeah. Right? So Nas, Illmatic. He's, the whole record is just, you listen and you're like, this man is 18, 19, 18-year-old. He wants to win. This is, yeah. he is ready. And he is, every lyric is precise. 
the next lyric, the next album, he's bought so many things. He's yeah. so rich. He's yeah. done so well. And he's that he can't rap about that again. Yeah. So the next record's about jewelry. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then the next one he's in a movie. Yeah. And he can't he can't focus all the time on, on rapping. So now he's right. trying to learn the script. That's just the way fame is. You know, over time you just have different sets of you know, it's like when you saw that, yeah, you saw that Metallica documentary and, uh, you know, he's selling millions of dollars worth of art at, at that auction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, this isn't the Metallica I remember from mm, when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, it's just a different, they grow up and it's yeah. hard. But Eminem's growth was, I think, has been a little bit, I mean, not a little bit, I think it's been depressing. Yeah, for sure. I think, I don't think there's anyone who's been, like, who's psyched about the turn that his career has taken, except no. maybe his enemies. But <laughs> He can because, still rap. Yeah, still yeah. still rap his ass off. Yeah, I'm sure that, that totally exists, but yeah. now it's just not. It's not out there in the universe. No. How does one get into, I know you run an art gallery here yeah. in LA. How do you get into the art gallery business? What, what's the foundation of that? So basically out of the out of wrapping, I still had a, pu- a publishing deal and that pays you a lot of money upfront. It just gives you half upfront. So the day you sign it, they give you, so I had a half a million dollar publishing deal. So they gave me 250 the day I signed it. Wow. And I'm 20. Yeah. Crazy. Like life changes. And so um, my career is crumbling at the same time though. So I'm like, ah, what do I do? And so the, my money manager at the time was just a girl who I dated in high school's dad. He goes, uh, you gotta, you gotta do something. You can't, this, we can't watch this just fall apart. Like you gotta, you gotta do something. And so I had a friend in college, Katie. She worked at an art gallery on Melrose. The owner treated me like shit, not knowing I just got $250,000. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how funny would it be if we focus on all these people? Like not like be nice to these people. Cause in three years, you don't know what Kanye yeah. Like Kanye and I were friends at that time. I was like, those kind of guys, DJ AM. Yeah. Those guys weren't rich yet. Yeah. And I was like, but they'll buy stuff because we have made good stuff and then we grow with them. Right. And that was the concept. And then we just did it. And and we I used my rap money. She got some money and we just opened a gallery on Melrose. That was 13 years ago. And now it's wow. run it's run by managers. I don't, you know, I, I do a little I curate and do a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's its own business. Wow. Holy cow. Crazy. And and, and that came from I wasn't able to do what I wanted in music. So I said, yeah. let's find something where I put the stuff on the walls and I'm in charge of what happens. Right. But, and most of it deals with like sort of pop culture, Yeah, right? that's what it is. It's a pop culture gallery. Let me pitch you an idea. Please. Okay, so it's a bunch of seven or eight feet tall canvases. Okay, a lot of houses can fit that. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's just, it's just Liberace's house. We're yeah. selling for Liberace's house. That's okay. it. It's Big just empty ceilings. canvases. Yep. No, it's, uh, it's, it's every boss in um, Tyson's Punch Out. We have done, we have done, Shit. well, we've done. Uh, paintings of every boss. Yeah, oh, small talent. though, small, very small squares. I'm talking big, like full now is size. It, is it um, pixelated? Pixelated. Yes, that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, it is like the original. It's not. It's not like an artist no. take on Piston Honda. It yep. is the pixelated version I love of it. Piston Honda, and they're huge. Pist- huge. Yeah, like they're actual. They're somebody, like seven feet tall. Somebody did something similar. I'm sure. Um, a couple of years ago at a gallery, and I remember wanting to buy it. Um, that's one of the few games. I mean, I played a bunch of games at my friend's house because I couldn't have Nintendo at my house. But that was one. That was like the game. That's my favorite game of all time. Yeah, it, it's the great. It is. It's yeah. so fucking perfectly. Well, it's because all the characters have different personalities. Yeah, the animators were so good. Whether it was eyebrows or hair or the way that their mouth moved. Did, did you see the thing that just came out? The Easter egg. Then no. Okay. What's that? <clears throat> You're gonna die. Oh shit! Somebody twenty years later figured out a tell when to punch on a Tyson. Yeah. Oh my God. There's an audience member. No. Over the left shoulder. No. Yeah, over the left shoulder. Oh my God. Whose arm goes up when you're supposed to punch it. Wow. Holy and, fuck. So you have those on other people. So you have those yeah. on the Indian, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Tiger. No. Uh, 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 
Yeah, the magic Tiger guy. Ali or something. And he like disappears. Yeah. And, so yeah. he has like the jewel on his head. There's little tells on that. But yeah. They found like tells for Tyson. They found tells that you didn't know existed oh by a guy God. in the background just putting up his arm. Wow. What, who's that? What was Why is he not working for the government? No that shit. Guy? Yeah. What's the, what was it? Nintendo Power. Oh, the magazine. Yeah. Oh, Did you subscribe best. to Oh, yes, yeah. please. Yeah. <laughs> I still have them, I think. I think I still have a bunch of mine. Um, yeah, I don't, don't fucking get... And there was a, there was like a hotline you could call. Yes, yeah, yeah, I used yeah. to do that too. I remember you could you could take if you beat Tyson you would take a picture of it and then you could send, send the in. photograph in to win I don't know what the fuck you got like a free no, membership. But that was a like pin. Yeah. I, I used to tell people this book is a lot like Mr. Sandman. Do you remember Sandman? Yes, yeah, yeah. So this book is a lot like that for me because he's uh, the one right before Tyson. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people think Tyson's the hardest part. Yeah, it it was. But Sandman was really hard. Really hard. And it's similar in this case, which is like, Hawk, finishing the hot crawl story is not the final thing I need to do. Yeah. That's Tyson. I'll get there. Yeah, but the, yeah, yeah. But the thing before that that's very hard is getting over is getting over Hot Carl. Hell and yeah. It's similar in that way, which is like, you forget it's even hard. Yeah. And then when you get to it, you're like, oh yeah, Sandman's really tough. Did you feel like a legitimate like catharsis when you're finished with, when you're finished like just going over everything and writing about this this mental breakdown, all this trauma towards the end of the book. Did you, did it feel, has it felt cathartic just sort of expressing all of it? Or oh, is it people reading it? That's the thing. Really? Writing it, writing it was cool. But if it, if it fell on deaf ears, then I don't think it means anything to me. Huh. But now that people are reading it and, and, and talking to me about it, that's, yeah. that's been the cathartic. That's been to finally get it off my chest. Like them sharing their own stories with conflict. Yeah. And, yeah. and only my therapist and my mom knew I had some issues uh, Maddie and Sancho, who were with me in Jamaica, did not know. They mm. thought I had a stomach flu. Um, and so uh, I had my own thing there and that that uh, that having that get out there, sort of alerting people. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been great. It's been uh, really cathartic for me. Ther- Therapy-like, yeah. I haven't been going to a therapist. I've been going for 20 years. I haven't went for a year. I'm just going to drop it off this week, I think. Fucking Because right. it's going to be her big, I mean, she's going to be thrilled to read it. Yeah, you have yeah. to. Jensen Carp wrote a book. It's called Kanye West Owes Me $300 and Other True Stories from a White Rapper Who Almost Made It Big. The book is so fucking fun to Thank read. You, man. The stories are just, even if you're not like into sort of like hip hop scene at that time, just the fact like you as a character, yeah. and I know it's your fucking life, but you it's as weird. a character is just so fun to watch you negotiate all the fucking crazy shit that you have to fucking go through. So weird. The book is so readable, Thank you. so accessible and fun. And I wish you like so much success. Thanks, I hope man. it makes a billion dollars. I'm just happy. Yeah. I'm just happy it's there and, and that people can read it. Are you going to write another one? I don't know. I, I have an idea that's like mildly based on that, but. I don't know. No idea. Okay. This was so like, so much of my blood and sweat yeah. that I'm like, maybe I'll do another one. But well, I, I, right now I'm just focused on, I mean, I'm on the SBs right now and I'm doing like a lot of TV writing. So yeah. it's not a, not high on my priority list, but I would love to. If you come back and w- will you come back if you write another book? Yes. Okay, great. hundred percent. Jensen Carp, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jensen and I, Hot Carl. Uh, Jensen came in and chatted about his book. It's a wonderful, fun, flowing, hilarious read about a universe that I knew nothing about. So it was really great to dive into that world, and he describes it really thoroughly. So Jensen, congrats on the book. I hope it's a fucking huge success. And you listeners, go pick it up because it's a real fun read. Sam Kiefer is here. My name is Nate Cordry. You've been listening to Reading Aloud. It's a podcast about books and reading and literature and blah, blah, blah. Next book club choice, Emma Klein's The Girls. Go pick it up at your local independent bookstore and pick up also... 
Kanye West owes me $300 by Jensen Cup. Pick him up. Pick, pick both of them. Put them in a bag. Take them to your pick house. Up. Pick up a book. Put it in your house. Put it inside of your house. Um, we're going to be back next week with more reading aloud. No interview next week. Just readings. Just readings. We're getting back to the source, people. It's going to be great. Uh, come back and listen to more reading aloud. My name is Nate Cordry. He's Sam Kiefer. And we'll see you soon. I love you, Sam. I love you, Nate. Beat you to it. Oh, you hit me like a hurricane. On Ron and Beverly, we like to ask our guests the tough questions. Fine. How old were you when your parents got divorced? His brother's ways uh, raised him. Like nine. Did you yeah. see them date other people? Did you walk in on them with other people? I Are never walked in. Okay. Thank <laughs> God. Are they Thank remarried, God. each of them? No. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Were your breasts and her breasts the same size? When you saw a woman of that age without her clothes on, did you think, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be? Was, or I did was you only think, impressed. I didn't know there were any black people in Colorado. Is that true? Yeah, it's a decent amount. Can you imagine the muscle on muscle in the bedroom for the two of them? Like, okay. very acrobatic. Okay. Listen to Rana and Beverly today on Earwolf.com, Howl, or your favorite podcast app. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hold up. 